Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mavericks. The Movie Mavericks Podcast. Movie Mavericks. Speaking of fucking long, uncut European cocks. The Movie Mavericks Podcast. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. I can't wait. Hey now, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast, or as I like to call it, The Other Side of Safety. I'm Trevor Anderson. So over Jason Rugard. He'll tell you what the hell that means. That's the tagline for today's retrospective episode, 1996's Van Damme's flop, Maximum Risk. (laughs) This is the Ringo Lamb directed. uh, This was the first of three pictures that Van Damme had signed to do with Sony, uh, Columbia, and they all three were massive box office disappointments. Um, This was one of the first three films he'd do with Ringo Lamb. Right. Yeah, this was the first, um, you know, Van Damme was the guy that brought over John Woo. He is the guy that brought over Ringo Lamb. And this is his first collaboration with Lamb. And you're particularly fond of their second collaborator, or third, I would say. I like all of them. Yeah, I, I, I mean, will say that they Replicant work well together. Replicant is very good. Um, also, you know, Twinsies and Replicant. Uh, In Hell, excellent film. Um, but uh, should we address, I mean, the twins thing? What's, what's with Van Damme and twins? Yeah, this is definitely the the Corsicant brothers of the Van Damme films. You know, he did this obviously in in Double Impact, which is, you know, if you're talking about Van Damme movies, and first replicant of all, to a degree, right? Obviously, they weren't really brothers, but you know, right? But he's playing twin type characters, and uh, and obviously this one as well. Uh, even though the, the character gets killed off in the very beginning, but if you're going to talk about Van Damme and his career, you got to really talk about it like you do Seagal's career. And if and even though they have different problems for why they fell off. Right around 1996 is when they both had films that were really faltering. You know, they, they'd hit their kind of oh, yeah. zenith in 94 I mean, to 95. And you have to admit, the next year after this, when Double Team came out, I mean, my God. Uh, and, really bad. And, and, and knockoff, and then Legionnaire. I mean, just like, holy shit, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, I and mean, even to say that for Seagal, you know, you have the, the Glimmer Man in 96, and then it followed by Fire Down Below and yeah. the Patriot and, and things like yep. that, you know. So. Um, it really goes downhill for these guys. They, they, like I said, they'd hit their peak in the early part of the 90s, if not the mid-90s. Um, but if you go back and look at this, and of the two movies that were released in 1996, as Seagal's Glimmer Man and Van Damme's Maximum Risk, I do think this is the stronger of the two movies. I don't. I would disagree. I, I think I like Glimmer Man more than this. Glimmer Man's a little bit easier to watch because um, it's a little mm-hmm. bit... Uh, it's not as complex of what it's trying to do, I think. I think it's a little bit smoother. Well, there's absolutely nothing complex going on in Maximum Risk. I, I, don't, I don't know what movie you watch. 
the one that had the I'm actually unsure block. of what you're talking about here. I mean, maximum risk takes about, you know, minimum brain power to watch. Well, yeah, also, this was Van Damme's third film in the course of, of less than 12 months. He had done Sudden yeah. Death in late 95, The Quest, which he wrote and directed in early 96, and then this in, in late, you know, fall of, of 96. So uh, really, it, it, I think, oversaturated himself, kind of what Jason Statham did there for a quick second, you know, and, and kind of everything became a blur of itself, even though I saw mm-hmm. all these in the theater. Did you catch this one in the theater as a kid? I did not. Uh, I don't. I, I didn't see this one. I mean, really, when you're talking about Van Damme's like heyday, you're kind of talking the early '90s. What is Van Damme's right. heyday to you? Like, what is the movie that best rep- represents a Van Damme movie for you? Uh, I, I mean, that's hard to say because he does, uh, you know, he does action movies, but he also does sci-fi stuff. So, I mean, for me, you know, Time Cop, obviously, but you know, but then right there, there's Hard Target as well. Right. Universal Soldier. Um, yeah, so it's hard. I mean, Cyborg, obviously, I mean, Bloodsport, if you, if you go back into the 80s. So it's hard to say that he's one or the other. Right? He's kind of does both. Well, it's interesting you brought up Hard Target and Universal Soldier, both movies I've watched recently and have found them to be lacking severely from what I remember them as a kid. They were very, very good. I mean, those are movies I watched all the time and I've watched them recently and they, they don't hold up in fact i'd say maximum risk was more enjoyable than hard target recently oh god that's uh, hard I, to hear. I know it's it is honestly and universal soldier is very stiff uh, universal soldier is rough yeah i have revisited that and i'll agree with you that that one um is super that one's cheaper than you remember it isn't it oh much and it's Ooh. herky-jerky i mean that movie starts and stops constantly yeah those the canadian made for tv ones are uh kick the hell out of this and that's saying something uh, also, if you if you go back and like I said, if you look at Van Damme's career in different stages, you have the early stage of Bloodsport, Kickboxer, Cyborg, kind of the holy trinity of his of his early career, and then you start moving on to the better productions where he did things like Lionheart, Double Impact, Death Warrant, right. um, and and you know getting building upon him. But then, this is all a short period of time as well, right? And like then you, you we know, listed we just listed like like ten movies, and we're talking in a period of about like. Six you know, or seven five years. years. Yeah, yeah, five, no, six honestly, years. Honestly, from it's about ridiculous. 88 to, to about 95, seven years, he came out with, with probably a dozen movies that were just um, – it's hard to say classics. But, but to me – because Van Damme for me in, in my action hero ranking – let me give you my action hero ranking. Then everyone's just fucking salivating. <laughs> we're waiting for it. We, we, you know this, I mean? yeah. We've all been waiting for it. I, I waited 300 episodes and I'll finally <laughs> give it to you. All right. So I got – of course my man slides at the top, right? We don't fuck right that. The Italian standing is number one. <laughs> But in, in a close second, uh-huh. I got to admit, I've always had Van Damme and Schwarzenegger kind of on that mm-hmm. even tier. And then I would go Willis underneath that. You know, those are kind of the top okay. tier guys. Um, how do you feel? I don't know. I've like? never even really counted Willis as an action guy because he's not really. But Die Hard's um, so seminal in, in the genre. In, in yeah, it can be as seminal 80s. as it wants to be. It's one movie. You know, I, I just I, he's kind of let me down on a lot of, uh, of stuff. I mean, I, I do love him in Fifth Element, but. I don't know so much about him. He he'd be down on the list, um, but yeah, I mean definitely Schwarzenegger's my favorite, um, and Stallone would be a number two, and Van Damme would be a number three. You know, and Seagal's in there, and um, God, who else? You know, there's there's there really when you think back about it, there really aren't that many of them. There's a lot of uh, guys who played in action movies who weren't action stars. Well, that that happened, makes sense. Which strange. I want to address that as well. I think it's a great point. In '96, when this was failing. Um, career-wise for Van Damme because of mm-hmm. multiple reasons, not just because of, of the projects he was picking and whatnot and oversaturation, but for a lot of personal reasons, which we we'll get into later. And in Seagal's career was faltering. Guys that in 97 who really shouldn't be playing action heroes were all of a sudden doing that. You had 
you know, uh, Nicolas Cage in John Travolta in Face Off and obviously Nicolas Cage again mm. in Con Air. And a lot of these kind of dramatic actors were starting to take that leap. And then we saw in 99, you know, Keanu Reeves once again reborn himself into an action star. And it, it, the, the action hero, quote unquote, was going back in, in the drawer after uh, it had been a reemergence after Batman. Yeah, well, of- I mean, what's the difference between all the guys you just listed and, and the guys that came before? It, clearly, the difference is these guys are actors. Um, these other guys, you know, aside from, uh, I would say Stallone really were really weightlifters, you know, and, and kind of martial artists and stuff. They weren't really actors. I would say that the guy in the eighties slash nineties, who was the best at, at juggling action films with acting was probably Mel Gibson. Oh, without a doubt. But again, he wasn't, he was more an actor. He wasn't, he was uh, more like Connery in the sense that people viewed uh, him as an actor and not an action star. I, I well, I agree with that, but he didn't have a, his background wasn't in, you know, being a muscle bound kind of or, a guy, yeah, yeah or, or martial arts or anything, which is where a lot of these guys came from, right? Who became action stars, uh, especially when you saw, and, and really, that's all because of Asia, right? Yeah, heavily. I mean, in the seventies and sixties, but especially in the seventies, there was that explosion, right? Bruce Lee, all those guys really uh, hit out over here. And uh, and that's this is what it gave birth to, right? It was Van Damme. <laughs> and Van Damme is uh, one of those stars that you, you say that last name and it's built. I mean, that name is made for yeah. putting on posters <laughs> and in trailers, you know. And just... Jean-Claude Van Damme. You'd think it's a terrible name, really, right? I mean, it's long. It's kind of weird to say when it rolls off the tongue, but it's it, no one else can be Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? I mean, no and this probably was, I, I mean, the best looking of them. I remember taking my, or my mom was taking me to see these when I was a yes. kid and she'd come out and say, oh, loved it. he didn't take off his shirt in that <laughs> one. She didn't like hard target. He was, I specifically remember because he didn't take off his shirt. <laughs> yeah. He certainly was a draw for the women to go see uh, this. I know my mom liked watching Van Damme movies um, more than any other action star. But coincidentally, uh, and, my but own- you. My old man liked Seagal, mm-hmm. and I always thought it was my old man. My uncle liked Seagal movies, and uh-huh. I swear it was because they could understand him more. They go, I can't understand <laughs> what that guy's saying. Yeah, the, the French accent. And my uncle go, he got a big knot on his forehead. And I go, well, okay. I mean, I guess <laughs> he does definitely have that knot on his forehead, but I mean, it's it's my boy Van Damme, you know. He yeah, it's Van Damme. You know, he's he was he was the guy out there. I mean, when you thought of Van Damme, uh, you thought of those kicks, right? And then they're definitely uh, throughout maximum risk. Um, he yeah. does the high kicks and the sweeping high kicks. Well, the, the, um, the kind of the helicopter kick was what he was known for. Mm-hmm. Um, the story goes, I'm sure people know if you're following this podcast, how Van Damme was discovered. But after toiling away at carpentry and, and limo driver and bouncing, Menahem Golan and Golan Globus were having dinner. He was a waiter or bodyguard or bouncer for somebody there, depending on here how you, the story goes. But he got their attention by, as they were leaving the restaurant, he called them out on the street and jumped above Golan's head and did that spinning mm-hmm. helicopter kick and they gave him Bloodsport. <laughs> but Bloodsport was a tumultuous shoot. That was a two-year, um, it stuck in editorial hell and was re-edited by Van Damme and Sheldon Lettich, who directed Double Impact and Lionheart. So Van Damme actually had a hand, some would say over of a hand, in in directing and editing, which led him to Many major, major movies. conflicts uh, in his with directors and stuff. So the mm-hmm. fact that he and Lamb worked together many times leads me to believe that they had a good working relationship. And this is the beginning to me too, of that Asian trilogy he does with this well, double team and knockoff. And but, of those three, this is the most streamlined because the other ones are kind of hallucinogenic. At which like, point do the drugs kick in and he just doesn't care anymore? This is the beginning of the drugs. Yeah. Can you see it in the face? I mean, his <laughs> body is he's still a little, point, he's, but he's a little, he's, he's a little, a little tired. Story. It looks like, yeah, tired he looks like he's a little like, nah, 
Um, I, I'm going to share a story here on air because uh, we're all family. So I got this these weightlifting books from back in the day. My friend's uncle is an old school bodybuilder, and I got this Arnold Schwarzenegger weightlifting book that's seriously from him. It has to be his first one he's ever done. It's got a picture of him on the beach looking pre Conan the Barbarian, early 70s. <laughs> now, we live in California, and it's no, uh, it's no secret that me and Miss Mary get along pretty well. And there's dispensary services that you call, and, and you, you get people to, to bring it over your house. It's like I had a half-baked for real in California. People out here love it. So this guy comes over one day, this older guy, he's probably in his 50s, pretty, pretty big guy, he's dropping off um, some medicinal. And he looks over at my bookshelf and he goes, hey, I'm in that book. And he goes <laughs> over and he grabs this book and he tells me he's written, he's published himself and he wrote The Unofficial Guide to Steroids. He was a steroid dealer for Franco Colombo, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he tells me, oh yeah, and Van Damme, they say he was into coke, but he was really speedballing. I know the guy that sold it to him and this, that, and the other. <laughs> Goes on. I mean, I'm trying to get the guy on the fucking podcast to be honest with you, but he's afraid to come on air. So I'm just, I mean, I've been holding the story for a while. So, so he tells me this, and I'm just like blown the fuck away because it kind of looks like he's doing that. It looks more than just coked out. He looks heroiny in this movie, yeah. does he not? I mean, it's it's there, and in Double Team, he's totally he looks lost sickly. His looks. I mean, he really he does. looks terrible. Yeah, I know. And the, the, uh, the, to counterpoint that, Natasha Henstridge looks absolutely gorgeous in this movie. Yeah, right. They're just flawless. Um Yeah, I, I mean I agree. And I I've always liked her. Um she's gotten a, a better actress as she's aged, I'll tell you that much. She's pretty terrible in this. <laughs> but I've seen her recently in some TV and uh and whatnot. She's actually uh a decent actress. What I think of when I think of her, obviously species, because that's where she first caught my right, attention right. when I was about fifteen, and I was like, "Wow, you know, it really worked for me." And um, <laughs> I did see that one in theaters. Yeah, I, so did yes. I. It was a little. I saw my second row, and I can still I still remember a lot of those scenes um, in his formative years, you know. And um, the, the, how I most remember her though is I'm a big fan of Saturday Night Live, which I'm sure most people know if they listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. But the show VIP used to come on on Channel 4 after Saturday Night Live when I was younger. And we'd watch Saturday Night Live and then go once again, party a little bit and come back in the house and that would be on and we just would watch it and just stare in disbelief at how fucking bad that show was. You remember that show? Vip? No. She was, was it Vip? That. No, she was it was the she other spies. one. She Spies. God, it was, <laughs> it was as interchangeable. Because you know what? They switched yeah, off sometimes. Yeah. That's like saying fucking Baywatch Nights and Sunset Blues or whatever that shit was. You know what I mean? Like nobody remembers. Yeah, She Spies is so bad, it's kind of good at this point. She Spies was was, was bad. It's <laughs> fucking bad. Yeah. But, um, this was the, also the last good movie, I think, that Van Damme had released theatrically. Because after this, you would have Double Team, Knock Off, and then maybe maybe the most disappointing out of all of them, because it was touted as the comeback movie, and he was going to be cleaned for it, and it was just so bad was Universal Soldier The Return. A movie so yeah. bad that they don't even act like it's part of the canon in any other follow-ups. So bad. Yeah. And then it went straight to video. It has not rebounded out of that <laughs> since the Expendables no, 2, which was no. really, you know, a gift from Stallone. Um, yeah, but I mean, to be honest, we have, or I certainly have liked a lot of the things he's done as of recent. You know, obviously JCVD um, is going to be one. You've liked a lot of the uh, of the others. I, I found well. them watchable. I think that um, really, though, the ones you mentioned, Replicant, in hell, I I know you don't like Wake of Death, but I would put those at the top tier See, of of that. You're gonna late- tell me yeah, they were watchable, but then you're gonna start naming a bunch of horrible ones that you vehemently fight me over. <laughs> <laughs> well, check this out. I knew you gotta it. Admit, 
I'll give you this, that Van Damme's B-movie career is is way less toxic than Seagal's. It is, only because it really flies under the radar. You know, Seagal, you see, bam, 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 Seagal, Seagal, Steve Seagal, they sell the shit out of those. Uh, where the fuck are the Van Damme movies at? You know, they're just not, that they're not to be seen. Yeah. Well, they also don't throw them in your face when he makes one. It's really, you almost have to, in a sense, uh, seek them out. You know, Welcome to the Jungle had almost, and to be fair, it's not really his movie, but it, it had like no... Uh, no release at all, right? And a lot of them didn't, you know. Six well, Seagal films now are known for him um, not doing any ADR, so it's a different guy. Well, even the Universal Soldier, uh, like Day of Reckoning, though, had practically no uh, publicity. God, that's a good one, though. Anybody, that's it is good very movie. good. But again, like I'm saying, it had like no publicity compared to a Seagal movie, which you would see everywhere. Yeah, and Redbox would be all over it too. So, um, let's let's get to the heart of the matter here. Let's talk Maximum Risk and the movie. <laughs> And, let's, um, let's, let's, I mean, you want to hit the opening scene here? Yeah, let's get at it. Yeah, what, what do you think about this opening scene? I really loved uh, this. This reminded me of why I like movies from the 90s where you just got a car chase going on, a guy with a camera, you know, some dudes driving, and that's it, right? And I tell you, when they go down the stairs in this, you can feel that, can't you? I, I, I don't know. In movies nowadays, when they go downstairs, it's everything's so smooth. They like seem to kind of glide, even even if it's the car shaking around. It doesn't seem as as weighty as this did. This was uh, it's first of all, it's a great setup to show you the city, and then have the intimacy of a guy huffing and puffing along, and you feel alone. You know, you really, I, I you watch that and you go, oh man, I feel kind of like with this guy. And then it's the classic. And they they Van pull Damme it out from under you though. And, and they he's kill doing him. things in here that are not Jason Bourne s because. There's consequences to everything he's doing. He's getting the shit kicked out. Well, he's a regular he's not, guy. Right, exactly. And they kill him right off the bat, which had been done in Universal Soldier, if you remember. It's the only other movie he got oh, killed in the first I mean, five minutes. Yeah. Which I, always reminded me of that. But great, <laughs> great chasing to open this movie up. But it is a good way to kind of throw a little something in there. There's so um, much visual energy in the mm-hmm. beginning of this movie that it does it can't quite sustain it, and it doesn't. But that beginning does show you that, like, this isn't going to be – I mean, if, if you look at it now and you go, okay, the Bourne movies or the shaky cam and stuff. But this is, was Asian influence before we had well, this. there was no shaky cam in this, right? There was just uh, – the shaky cam was just subsequent. Uh, or it was because the camera was just because it was, it was shaking. Yeah, yeah. It was, they didn't do it on purpose, right? I mean, that's why I think it made this work so much because – this, the, nothing in this was, was necessarily faked to any degree. You know, it was just shot. You know, and I really love that. I love uh, when scenes and car chases when the car bumps the camera too. Doesn't that just kind of add a little bit to it? I don't know. Well, for me, you, it does. Any car chase like this in, in, from this era and further back, you're looking for like the fruit stand, you know, or like yes. the glass. He's driving the fruit <laughs> cart is what I love in this one. You know, he's just fucking, I got the car cart with me. Well, they do They do one really, really smart thing in this. Um, he's Russian and they give him no lines. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they don't, they're like Van Damme doing a Russian accent. No, give him no lines, just kill him. I didn't even think about <laughs> that. Yeah, and I love later when she tells the the brother, you know, "You've gotten so much harder since you've been away." And it's like, nah, he's the same fucking, <laughs> literally the same physique, lady. Yeah, right. Um, before we go any further here, let's take a quick break and let our listeners hear the trailer for 1996's Maximum Risk. We'll be right back with you. If you're playing this tape. And I'm already dead. You are my only hope. They're watching. They're waiting. Take the money, the list, and the gun. And when you shoot, shoot to kill. Somebody killed him. It was strength to come home. This is just the beginning. I've seen it before. It won't stop until you're dead, too. 
from internationally acclaimed action director Ringo Lamb. and Natasha Henstridge of Species. Maximum Risk. Welcome to the other side of SAFE. All right, and we're back. So okay, uh, an interesting okay. side note here. Watching this trailer and looking at the promotional materials, the, the original poster, you know, they have the mm -hmm. World Trade Center front and center on this thing. And I got to believe, I had a suspicion, and I went and looked it up now, was it where do you think this was shot? Because it takes place in France and New York. Where do you think this was shot? Uh, Canada. <laughs> yep, Canada yeah. and a little bit of France, because this thing, outside of some stock footage shots of uh, you know the, the subway train, mm -hmm. some uh, some electric rails and the twin towers and things like that, it all takes place in Canada. This has no look. But you it's can't really very, tell. I mean, very it's foreign. all I say, street level and kind of. It close, has a very so. foreign feel, though. Does it not feel like a? a it does, European but I kind of was okay with that because it starts in uh, in Europe. So um, I don't know when he went when they when they went to. I mean, I'll be honest. When when they went to New York, I was like, oh damn, they weren't in New York. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, I, I, I had always, no idea where they were. <laughs> I always remember it starts in France because the little like the balconies are like so European. You're like, oh, right. And his his balcony. friend is the, is the most French person uh, in the world. First of all, his sidekick is that not Roman Polanski? Who the fuck is that? No, guy? It's Gene Hughes Anglade or whatever. He's a uh, the only the only reason I know him is because he was in uh, two of the early Luc Besson movies. But he was uh, he played a a character in uh, La Femme Nikita. He was the the boyfriend that she found. Oh, dropping some fucking knowledge <laughs> tonight, man! I like well, it. It's the only reason I know him. I don't think he's done anything else. Uh, you know, stateside. He's a French guy, but. He's got a great yeah. line in this movie that goes completely under the radar uh, when he says, parents always lie to their children. That's to prepare them for how the government's going to treat them later. <laughs> what? Where did that come from in this movie? It's like the smartest, most Didn't George you... Clooney line that ever fucking came out. I mean, just to skip ahead and just uh, you know, let's go through the through line with this guy. At the end, um, were you happy or or did you even notice uh, that they that they kind of missed or stepped over the opportunity of turning him into a bad guy? I, I like that they didn't because they hit Me too. I thought, oh, man, because I really didn't really remember this too much. I thought, oh, fuck, this guy's going to be a bad guy, isn't he? No, he's, he's just fooling he's around, just but he's not. There. Yeah, he's yeah, just, no, he's like just fucking there. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because if you think about it, the, the Van Damme character that we know the whole movie, you don't learn anything about. He had understanding why he really but how easy, about the brother. But this guy's the guy that led him to that, right? I mean, how easy would it have been for this guy to have been a bad guy? Very My question easy. is, whose funeral is Van Damme at in the beginning? Right? <laughs> I just always think it's the brothers, and I you're like, know. oh, no, he's pulling him away to go see the brother. Like, who the fuck is this, you know, guy? And it turned out to be, they said, like, a lieutenant or a major. I was just going to say, I, yeah, I, th I think it was, like, the captain or, so, or some, some, like, yeah, someone in the police force. One of the most interesting things is that this was written by Larry Ferguson, who wrote um, Beverly Hills Cop, The Hunt for October, co-writer on Alien 3, a lot of, lot of stuff he mm -hmm. was writing. Um, and this script had a polish by – an uncredited polish by Jason Fiedberg and Adam Seltzer, the guys from the Scary Movie franchise. And you can almost feel that irreverent tone in a couple scenes and particularly the cabbie novelist who's my favorite character in this entire movie. But he's just – doesn't he seem so inserted? 
That's what I mean. It's a rewrite character. So I fucking weird. love it. There's He's no in there. Reason for his it's existence. so weird that he dies too. And like, are we supposed to be sad about that? Like, I barely oh, knew the guy. He's given like a moment. You know? <laughs> I like, know. It's a big moment. And it's like, it's one of those things where in a movie nowadays, there's no way they would have killed that guy. Or if they were going to kill him, they would have made him really beloved. They would at least gave him another scene or so. Yeah, like like a, like, a, like another couple of weeks. But I love that he was the novelist and he's looking for this and he could find anything and he's, I'm not going to steal your story. <laughs> I just, this would have been great to set up the But the But here's, the here's the thing, though. What does he do in the movie? He doesn't do anything. What he do, saves but, him that one time, right? But other than that, he tells him, like, uh, you know, find uh, Alex or whatever. And he fucking, of course, doesn't do that. Um, and then he's just kind of there. And then, and then he gets killed. I think that Natasha Henstridge character is probably the most depressing character. If you listen to what she did, she's a former <laughs> stripper turned hostess in this Russian mafia joint where she's fucked. Like she's eventually going to have to do yeah. something with this mafia guy or not. Like she kind of is like in this quasi sex slave ring, I feel like, with this whole situation. And um, her, her character is useless. She ends up fucking – her ex-boyfriend's brother has really no qualms with the fact that the Mikhail's dead. Yeah, no, she's, even... she's moved right on. Moved on well, he so looks quickly. just like him, so it's fine. And he's the harder. accent's probably sexier, right? Going from Russia to French. You know, yeah, and he's harder. Yeah. Is that one of the yeah. is that one of the main uh, selling points with Van Damme? Because he could have lost that accent. But is that like one of the signature things? Like like Schwarzenegger always said, like he could have probably shook it fully, but it was his trademark. I definitely think so. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? The dude's fucking French. Like, that's kind of the whole persona. All right. Story number two. Let me show you another <laughs> Van Damme story for full. Oh, minutes. shit. Uh, this one comes from... Yeah, hi. my buddy who I want to get on the, the, the show, he's probably going to be listening to this. I should probably wait for him to come on the show to tell the story, but I'm going to do a bad impersonation of it. He tells me he's hanging out with a very famous friend of his, a guy he grew up with who's a professional athlete. And they're in an East Coast town. I can't say what because I can't put it on blast like that. But the guy's a professional. If you say the name, they know who it was. And he stays very close to his entourage. And you've met this guy, I believe. In fact, and you in his room's met this guy. So – Long story short, they're at a gym working out, and Van Damme's there. And they, Van Damme's lady publicist comes over to the group and says, uh, Mr. Van Damme would like to, to meet you. And so Van Damme comes walking over, and as my buddy tells the story, he says, the guy looks fucking coked out of his mind. He looks awful, <laughs> he says, just absolutely he's dying. And he goes, and he walks over, and he, he doesn't say, hey, guys, how you doing, or yeah, what's going on? The first thing he says, he says in the most grimy, creepy way is, so, did you guys fuck last night? <laughs> <laughs> and he says the publicist, like in horror, he like rushed him away and shit. And they were just like, what the fuck? And these guys were all our age and like grew up in Van Damme movies and the whole nine. So, you know, I hope my, my friend out there doesn't mind giving that story away because when he comes on, he can do a, a much better uh, detailed description <laughs> of that. But, you know, it just it reminds you that that underneath all of this, there was always a layer of creepiness that accompanied Van Damme. I mean – all the stories well, yes. of him and, and all the trouble he was in. And... Maybe maybe that's the real reason he kept the French accent. Because <laughs> when you say, do you want to fuck, it sounds like. Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, he's creepy. Nah, he's European. <laughs> it sounds like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> My impersonation, at least. Um, I, we got to say, though, that the, this movie somewhat resets itself midway through, wouldn't you say? With the bathhouse sequence, when you realize. Uh, well, 
The greatest sequence of the movie, you mean? Uh, thank you. I do think that this bathhouse sequence <laughs> is crap. the best acted, the best written, shot, edited, and that fight scene oh. with that beast of an individual. It's just great. Yeah, I mean, you get a, you get a great action scene um, between, uh, you know, Van Damme. The guy's Damme name and... is Stefanos Milokovic. Miloskovic. I'm sorry, I'm screwing that off. He's an MMA <laughs> grappler, and he also has a small role as one of the pirates in Cyborg, if you go back and watch. He's in that too. He's been in a number of Van Damme movies in the background. Uh, he's got to be a friend of Van Damme. He's one of the he's original pioneers guy. of MMA and uh, UFC stuff. That is an interesting that fight that takes place. It moves from what the sauna area to like the shower room. But <laughs> I just, so did it goes he, so far away. Just like the first one did in, the, in that movie with the whole office when they're all over that office. You know, like um, I love that he just beats his ass so. for a second, then he leaves in the bath. You know, he like walks out with yeah. him. He's like, "No, I'm done with you." But uh, yeah. that the sequence is um, great, great because scene. the whole turn of power too. You realize that the bad guy really wasn't after him. Well, it you was... get your yeah, you get your action movie, and then you also get a little mafia hit going on here, right? Take out think... the mob boss, pretty cool. This is arguably the weakest villain though in all the Van Damme movies. Isn't that He's the not hindrance even really a villain. <laughs> but there's no villain. He doesn't that's... do anything. Well, here's the thing: where's all of his henchmen at? Where's like where is like, he kills all the boss and all the boss's henchmen? He's got like two dudes, and like that's it. And he's that's running a little that, ragged. That's all that's left of the, of the Russian mafia out of the 12 guys that were there. <laughs> I think out of all action movies that, that have like the spiraling bad guy that do it best for me is Out for Justice with Richie. You know, with William right. Forsyth, the, mm-hmm. the Seagal movie. I love that he is – because that guy just – if you watch that movie, I'm going to have to do a retro on that soon because he's just <laughs> on a 48-hour crack binge that says, yeah. like, I'm not going to be alive in 48 hours. I'm going fucking all out. You know, like – and that you feel that shit. Like, and no one's safe at that point. Whereas these other guys just seem like they're they're playing tough guys, and the the two FBI henchmen here, and the whole list, and getting this movie's confused in the fact that it goes from France to New York, and then just basically has to get him back mm-hmm. to where he was in the first place to go to a bank. If he had just gone to that fucking bank, he'd have saved himself a lot of fucking trouble. Yeah, I know he has, well, what was on the list in the end? I I totally that I didn't even pay attention to it. This <laughs> list that everybody was after. What was on the list? Well, it was everyone's. Um... I mean, it was everyone who was involved in it, right? And so it was the FBI, the, the dirty cops were on it. That's why they were after it. Who really are the bad guys in the end, because they're the ones that killed the brother, in a sense. Right, right. Well, I mean, if anything, it's good to see where Paul Blart came from. <laughs> you know, and, and to just, you know, Kevin James was working before. You know, yeah, that guy does look very, <laughs> very much like that character. That's for sure. But you say that about the, the bathhouse scene, and... It made me think about other great action movies that have a good bathhouse mm-hmm. sequence. Um, Showdown in Little Tokyo, yep. Bullet to the Head, obviously this. I mean, the bathhouse sequence. I mean, I don't know. I've never been in a bathhouse in my uh, fucking life, but mm-hmm. great. Um, at least I'm not going to be on air. Uh, great, great <laughs> <laughs> sequence, though, for movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially from, from this age, right? I mean, if you go back, Red Heat obviously had the same thing. But it, oh, you're but right, again, Red Heat. But Russia, right? Is, is that kind of a, a tie, like a European tie with this? Maybe, maybe. Because wasn't the, I mean, in Bullet to the Head, it was also a Russian thing, wasn't it? Wasn't he going to... You're very right, but in Shodan like in Little Tokyo, it was a Japanese thing. It was Yakuza, theme bathhouse. Sure, well. but still, that's um, foreign. foreign. Yeah, I gotcha. Right? Uh, yeah, Shodan in Little Tokyo is another classic. Man, we're just stumbling upon gems tonight, huh? <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and I want you guys to listen to Siskelini, but we tried to dig up an old review of theirs for this film, but we couldn't exactly find one. All I could find was them riffing on the generic titles uh, in movies of this era and of this time bunched together. So go ahead and listen to that. We'll be right back. 
And now my thumb revolves and points down for a new syndrome in the movies, interchangeable, forgettable titles for action pictures that sound like they come out of a computer file of action-filled words, and it wouldn't surprise me that that's exactly how they're created. <laughs> Some examples, how about Extreme Measures, which opened last week. It's about a mad genius scientist played by Gene Hackman who uses the homeless as guinea pigs for genetic surgery through the spinal column. Now, I know Spinal Tap as a title was already taken, but Extreme Measures is so lame. Would it matter if it were titled Chain Reaction or Maximum Risk? Not much. And those are actual titles of other generic thrillers from this year. Now, these generic titles cost producers revenue, I think. I may have gotten their attention finally. How can the average moviegoer remember titles like these? And these boring titles also send a sadly accurate signal to moviegoers that the movie isn't really about anything special. It's so generic it gets the equivalent of a barcode you find on a box of cereal. Oh, I know what you mean, Gene. People ask me about movies, and I can't remember what one they're right. talking about. Fatal Attraction or Fatal Beauty? Or Basic Instinct or Basic Attraction or Fatal Instinct? Yeah. Uh, by the time you get finished with all these movies, it's just like they put a lot of words into a box and shook it up. And then there was that satire on those kinds of movies. Remember what it was called? I have no idea. You don't. Gee, neither do I. But it was something like Fatal Basic Instinct yeah. or Attraction or something like that. All right. And we're back with you guys. I mean, they're talking about extreme measures. They're talking mm -hmm. about chain reaction, maximum risk. And they're basically saying that it hurt the box office of all these films that underperformed because audiences couldn't tell them apart and basically saying that yeah. it was too much work. You think that's the problem here? Is that why this didn't do well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the problem is that it's just, uh, this is extremely cheap. Um, you know, there's no, it, clearly people stopped trying at this point. I don't know how it happened. I don't know where it happened, but it happened, as you mentioned, with everyone, really. Um, you know, the late 90s was not, a, was not a good time for really any action star. <laughs> Uh, no, and you look, like I said, I, I particularly point out 97 because, like I said, that was the year that Travolta and Cage both did action mm -hmm. films, and you have people like Stallone doing a dramatic film with Copland, you know, and it just was such a strange, strange summer to me, and I, I, that was really the beginning of the end of the action hero because once The Matrix came out and all the the wire work, it didn't matter who the guy was. You didn't need to be able to do a spinning back kick to get people's attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you could just, you could... Well, they wanted the special effects. The bullet time, you know, which was one of the worst things that could have happened to action films because after that, everything from Art of War to Shrek, it had bullet time, you know? <laughs> yeah, know. It was unfucking believable. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and something that you couldn't imagine being in, in a lot of movies before then. Uh, yeah, just it, an odd effect. Yeah. It, was, it worked well for The Matrix, but it didn't need to be incorporated into everything yeah, it else. It was great for The Matrix. But yeah, yeah. Uh, this, actually, to. Give Maximum Risk just a little bit of clarity here. It was originally titled The Exchange and then Bloodstone, both terrible, terrible uh, titles. I mean, but, the, the, I mean, yeah. Action movies have always had a problem with titles, haven't they? I mean, Maximum Risk it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, it's just, it, it doesn't. It, they, but all of them. I mean, if you even go back to the ones that uh, we say we liked, it, it's just... They're terrible, terrible titles. Even Sudden Death, which I think is, is probably the glossiest. I, mean, come on, I would team. say, don't you think Sudden Death and Time Cop are the two like high points of the career in the sense of, of like real movies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. Everything's building to that. Um, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Every step. I would completely agree with that. Everything is building to that. And it's unfortunate that the next thing after that really is, you know, is, is this. The first step, I believe, you know, not even addressing the, the massive drug problem. He, Van Dam will say, oh, let's address it. I mean, I read an interview with him once and he said he was doing up to five grams a day. Um, if that's not necessarily my that's not my forte, that that whole arena. So I don't know what that cost is or whatever, but I got to imagine that's substantial. But he said he wanted to commit suicide. He's he, he eventually was diagnosed in 99 with with a by, you know, manic bipolar mm-hmm. and, and is on was on medication is somewhat gotten his life together but if you ever watched his, his television show that they did following him around you can still see the guy's drinking and, and and partying and he's gotten multiple DUIs so I don't know what his sobriety is or what his whole deal is with that um, but it's so sad and the fact that like the guy was 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 so good looking was so talented was great shape and and you see him now and I mean I follow him on Instagram and, and all those kind of social media things mm-hmm. and he's very young to be looking as old as he looks I mean Stallone and Schwarzenegger are much older, and they all look about the same age. I know, right? It, it's it's really sad. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it, it makes you feel bad for him in a sense because uh, I, I really, I mean, I don't want to say I looked up to the guy, but he was one of my action idols. You know, when you're a kid, he's yeah. I didn't necessarily follow wrestling or any of that kind of stuff, or, or you know, sports in the sense of uh, football heroes or stuff. But uh, Van Damme was my guy, and Seagal was a guy too. And Seagal was the guy that everything everybody liked because he didn't have to work out, right? And look where that got him. Like, who would you want to be today? That's the question. Seagal or Van Damme? Go. Can I be John Travolta? Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Cage? <laughs> I'll be Nicholas Cage. He's choking motherfuckers out still. You see him get after Vince Neil? No. Oh, man. Get on TMZ once in a while, will you? No, I won't. Yeah, no. Do yourself a favor. Don't. Keep your brain cells. No. Uh, but honestly, Van Damme was an... Uh, bad boy actor in the era before TMZ. Yeah, there was was tabloids and stuff, and he was fodder for tabloids with his five divorces and remarrying his, his second wife and kids all over the place. But uh, nowhere, I mean, if it had been this era, he'd have been just, can, can you imagine the shit? It's like a Lindsay Lohan type situation. <laughs> he'd have been all over it. Well, but, uh, I mean, it would have been Charlie Sheen, right? Well, good thing he pulled it together, though, right? I mean, in a, he... I, you didn't know if he was still going to be around in the late 90s, man. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, you look at Double Team, and he mm-hmm. looks very sick. He does not look well. Yeah. And um, But, man, these movies were just – up until this point, you really – they just were so fucking good. Time Cop? Go back and look at that shit, man. Time Cop. So I don't know if I'm reviewing Maximum Risk tonight or his whole au revoir. <laughs> 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 Overture. Right? It's like – but – um. I don't know. Are you going positive with this? Are you going to be happy to revisit this thing or what? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, yes, this isn't, uh, you know, this is no criterion collection worthy fucking movie. Obviously, but you had this on you know? Blu-ray and you said it looked great. Oh my God. Uh, first of all, if you do get a chance to see, yeah. Um, I mean, both this and, uh, you know, Glimmer Man looks great on, on Blu-ray too. You own that um, on Blu-ray? Yeah. I have that. What are you somewhere. fucking burning money over there? What do you got going on? I had, uh, one, another one too. You better find remember. those in a dollar bin at Walmart. Oh, yeah, I've had them for a while. I mean, yeah. this was unopened, um, so it's a good thing to watch it. Uh, but it's a beautiful transfer. Um, and Ringo Lamb's framing on this, or whoever the hell was, you know, I don't actually know if it's him. <laughs> I imagine it would be him. He's an action director. But whoever the cameraman was uh, on this just framed the shit out of this. Like, it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, widescreen, 235 uh, frame. 
uh, yeah, and the whole movie is just like, oh, that's great framing. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not get to experience that because my DVD, which was like one of the original DVDs I ever bought, uh, is a terrible transfer. It's I, I let me look at the specs on this piece of shit. <laughs> it is a one three three full screen, and it's not even. It doesn't even fill up my entire frame. I had to adjust like the setting on my TV to stretch the fucker to make it even resemble a normal movie. So because originally it looked like I was peeping through the cracks of a door at a theater to watch it. It was so tall and narrow. that uh, it, So it, it was not the greatest viewing experience awesome. for me. And I've been looking at this Blu-ray of flirting with getting it, but I thought, oh, how often am I going to watch Maximum Risk? This would have been the time. Why is it that there's a Maximum Risk Blu-ray, there's a Glimmer Man Blu-ray, but there's still no True Lies Blu-ray? Can anyone explain that to me? Yeah, I know, right? Why? It makes no sense. Why does it not exist? Um, but yeah, this does make me want to go back, though, and, and look at some more... Van Damme films. You were talking about going back and looking at Nowhere to Run, and uh, I can't abide by that. I, I looked at that for reason. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's such a different era that these things just don't hold up the way you remember. I mean, 20 years ago now for Maximum Risk is, is unbelievable to me. I mean, two decades. Two decades. <laughs> I don't know. They cleaned this one up, too, so... Um... But that overhead swirling so shot know. when he's in the the vault listening, the, 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 basically the trailer shot. Sure. That's another great, great shot here. And this movie, like I said, has a lot of visual inventiveness. Not quite the the manic energy of Sui Hark, who you know, does double team and, and knockoff. And, mm-hmm. and knockoff is probably, wouldn't you agree that knockoff is probably the strangest movie Van Damme's ever been involved with? Yeah, knockoff is, is weird, but I mean... What do you expect at that point? Because Double man? Team has a cool idea in like that colony, but then it goes away from that. You know, I like that idea. <laughs> but then it like like when they parachute out in those basketballs, parachute from that. Yeah. Like it, it's just like, oh wow, you guys are pandering. It's fucked in this movie. That uh, yeah, God, it just there was a time though Van Damme would open a movie and it was number one at the box office, and this was the last time that happened. So. Translated, by the way, this uh, grossed about twenty-eight, thirty million dollars, or twenty-eight to thirty million dollars. So even today, this would be considered a low grosser and a money loser, unfortunately. And the last movie that Natasha Hintridge would be in in the theaters, except for a small role in Species Two. Did you ever see Species <laughs> Two? I saw that in the theater. I saw way too no, many movies in the theater. I didn't see it in the theaters. No. No. Oh, you missed that. I, me no, and three other know. people did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. How the hell did you watch that? I worked in a theater at the time. I think I was free. It's one of those things. Uh, no, Ghost of Mars. Ghost of Mars. Nice to come back go. with one. I mean, this the whole nine yards she was in. You're, you're fucking unbelievable. You can't, you're called names in movies sometimes, but you got the French guy from the Luc Besson movie. You got Natasha Hinstrich from Ghost of Mars. I'm proud of you tonight. Nine yards. Look at you. Oh, with the sequel, right? Whole well, ten yards? So there's three movies. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, she's in that one too. <clears throat> she had a whole career. So there you go. Well, you said she wasn't back in the theaters again. Boy, were well, you I mean, wrong. To be fair, she's not as supporting <laughs> as they get in uh, the cameo esque in the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards. Yeah, she is just the the extra like girlfriend. Just kind of there because she needs to be. Well, that's gonna wrap up our retrospective tonight on the nineteen ninety six Jean Claude Van Damme film Maximum Risk. Yes, we know this was a very obscure title to go back and look at. But hey, we picked it. Next week, we'll be back with you guys with a regular episode. Episode 300, if you can believe it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll have some special guests on after. 
and some fun stuff coming up with you guys. So stay with us. We want to thank you all for continuing listening with us. Uh, check us out at iTunes, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and a bunch of other podcast sites. Thanks, guys, and we'll be back with you soon. Oh my, another magnificent episode has come to an end. If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage!
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.